All right, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Ken, for leading us in songs of praise this morning. Welcome to Chinese Church in Christ, South Valley. If I haven't met you before, my name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad you're here. And uh, I wanted to say, a, I wanted to start by saying a quick thank you to many of you who were here Friday night as we had our Awana Harvest Festival for all the young children in our group. Many of you were part of the crew who built our elaborate cardboard maze in the sanctuary, and uh, some of you helped out with the games in here. And um, contrary to what we might think, my favorite part is not the fun that we get to have in it, but um, I've tried, we've talked about this as a youth group. Putting the maze together is more than just cardboard, that pieces of cardboard that are taped together, you know, in, in a nice designed way. If you go to the library, you can see the blueprint. It's fantastic. Oh, you erased it, that's right, oh, too bad. But in this case, it wasn't just cardboard boxes that were taped together, or this year's version, including embarrassing photos of many of us, which we thought might be a scary touch for the younger kids. Um, really, it's a night where, as a church, we get to serve those who are younger than us. And it's not just the fun that we have, it, but it's also just a chance to get to um, put I, I estimate our youth group spent 30 hours this week building the maze. It's a long time, but to, and for about 40 minutes of enjoyment for the young kids. So the trade-off of that is quite staggering. But um, I really believe that when we take our time to serve those, to uh, not just for our own gain, but to do something that can be uplifting for others, that's a great way where we get to live out what Jesus has truly done for us on the cross. And that might seem like a strange comparison, but that's one of many ways that we can serve others that are around us and show them the love of Christ. And so just want to commend you all for that. It was a fantastic time, and our children's minister, Venus, wants to pass on her thanks to uh, all of you who helped out in various ways. So thank you for that. Um, if you're just joining us, we are in week two of a new series where we are going to be looking at the triune God, the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, last week, to kick that off, Daniel shared with us from Genesis 3, the first kind of lie in the Bible where the serpent goes and tempts Adam and Eve, and he was sharing with us how many voices we often listen to in our world and how easy it is for us to believe in lies and how that can change our lives um, in really negative ways. And so today, we're going to start by looking at the first person of the Trinity, which is the Father. And we're going to see that in a very famous passage to many of us that I'm sure we've heard before, but I'm hoping that it hits us in different ways this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 15. It'll be up here on the screen as well. And we are going to read at least the first part of the famous story of the prodigal son. And uh, this comes from Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read starting in verse 11. So if you've got your Bibles, you could follow along or you can follow up on the screen. But let's read. And he, this is Jesus, he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. 
and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can read this picture of you, our Heavenly Father. God, we thank you that just as we sang, that you truly are a good Father who is perfect in all of your ways. And Lord, though there are many voices that we hear in our lives that can cause us to live one way or make one choice over another, God, I pray that we would see this picture of a Heavenly Father who dearly loves his son, no matter how imperfect, no matter how wild, no matter how rebellious. Lord, we thank you for this picture that we get to see of your amazing love for us at work in this passage. So I pray that as we consider what we've read here this morning, you would open our minds and our hearts to what you would say to us. So we thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if the first person of the triune God If we see throughout scripture, God is in three persons or forms, the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to focus for today and next Sunday on who God is as the Heavenly Father. That's what we're going to focus on today. And next week, Daniel will talk about our relationship with the Heavenly Father. And then we'll move on to Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we'll be doing that over the next month or so. Um, What this passage taught me as I was thinking about this throughout this week after reading this. You see in the New Testament this image of God as the Father quite a bit. And when you see the teachings of Jesus, he talks about his heavenly Father quite a bit. You might remember verses that Jesus says in, throughout his teaching about the kingdom of God. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then I and the Father are one. These all take place in the latter chapters of the book of John as Jesus is explaining who his heavenly Father really is to his disciples. And it's fascinating because I think God could have kind of revealed himself in various different forms, but there is a family relationship that we see that is tied to God being our heavenly Father. Now, I share this passage and also just this topic of God being our heavenly Father at the risk of knowing that this might not be the easiest concept for us to grasp. And that could depend very much on our relationships with our earthly fathers. And I'll share a little bit about both the struggles and also the things I've learned from my relationship with my earthly father and how I've come to view that somewhat differently over time, the closer I've come to know my heavenly father, God the Father, right? 
Um, I have a good friend of mine from college who anytime he hears the idea of God as a heavenly father, it's particularly triggering for him. And that's because when he was young, his father abandoned him and his family, and he grew up never knowing his father. And that was difficult for him. And while I had my own struggles with my earthly father, I can also think of a lot of good things that my earthly father did in our relationship as well. I'll talk a little more about that as we get into it. And though this might be a complicated thing for us to think about, depending on our family relationships, we believe it is so important that we understand God as our heavenly father, the relationship that we can have. Um, that though this may run the risk of touching on nerves in what might be difficult for us to think about, knowing God as our Heavenly Father is so foundational and so important, and that's why we're going to talk about it, even though it probably might have different connections for all of us in this room. And so when I read this picture of this in this story, many of us are familiar with the story if we've gone to church at all. We know the story of the prodigal son. The son runs off, and we'll get into the details of it in a moment. But we might see this picture of this amazing and loving Heavenly Father, and you might think, like I do, like, that is not a picture of my earthly father. Like, how, how much he disciplined me as a kid. Like, you know, he wasn't waiting for me with nice clothes when I came home. He was waiting to, like, remind me of something I hadn't done, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. But when we think about this image of God as a father, that can be complicated for us. But that's why we want to look at it today. And in this story, you see the, you see the father-son relationship, which end up being two parts of the Trinity. And I think this passage shows us the true heart of God, our Heavenly Father. And we need to start with that. We will get into how this affects our lives day by day and moment by moment. But for, day, for today, our task is just to see who God is as our Heavenly Father. I don't think the interpretation of today's passage is particularly complicated. We do complicated things here in our sermons at times when we read the Apostle Paul. But the goal for today is for us to see what is the character of God the Father that we see in this passage. So we're going to look at three different aspects of this parable that Jesus is telling. First, we're going to see that God the Father allows his son to go his own way. And that teaches us something about God as a father that we'll get into. Secondly, we see how much God the Father, or how much this father unconditionally calls his son worthy. And there's much we can learn from that. And finally, we'll see how the father entrusts each of us eternally. So first, let's look at the first thing we see here. God allows us to go our own way in the same way that the son does in this passage. So at the start of this story, in verse 12, the younger son of this father, he comes and he says to his father, comes, says to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now, if you think about like, the implications of what the son is asking for, there are ways where this could be particularly offensive to the father. Um, I'm not sure how many of us as kids want to go up to our parents and say, Hey, you know, one day when I'm going to inherit money, when you know you're no longer with us, like, can you give me that money now? Like, I don't think any of us are trying to go have that conversation right now, because that could be particularly, like, in, in some ways, some commentators have said, this shows us that what the son is really doing is he's saying, Dad, I don't value our relationship. I just wish you were dead so I could have the money that would come along with that, so I can go and use the money as we see that he does in this passage. 
And so that, from the beginning, is a particularly troubling statement. Now, how many, and then how does the father respond to this? It says in the second half of verse 12, and he divided his property between them. So it's a, it's a, what could be described as a very offensive, like, question from the son to the father, and then the father just goes and does this. How many of us, if we hypothetically thought we would go and do this, do we think our fathers would respond in this way? Probably not many of us, right? Now, Jesus loves to be hyperbolic in his teaching, so he's using something that would be shocking to people, but that's kind of the the implications of what the son says here, right? And so that's what we see here in this this passage. And um, it's really fascinating that the father in this story would just do what the son asks. And I think what this shows us, I was thinking a lot about this this week, I think as we get older, we can tend to start to think about more adult matters in a way that that the son does here. So let me be really careful about how I paint this picture. Well, let's see. So the father allows the son to take the inheritance. Now, if we're using this as a biblical point from the story to say that the father allows us to kind of make our own decisions, there's a point in our childhood or adolescence where we can start to be more trusted as children. Let me be very careful to say that the point that we're trying to make here where God allows the son to go and make his own mistakes, by no means am I saying that the Bible is telling us that we as kids are supposed to believe that our parents can let us do whatever we want. Do not go home and apply this and say, hey, in the passage, like, the son said something really shocking to the dad, and he just kind of rolled with it, and that was it. Like, that is not what we're trying to get at here. But if the son had an understanding of how inheritances work, you have to admit, or you have to accept that he was probably a little bit older, and he knew how these things work, right? And so as we get older in our growth and our development, we desire more and more freedom from our parents in how we're raised, And that can be a point of tension in family relationships, where it's like, you know, uh, when I was in high school, my parents still, because I'm the oldest child, expected me to go to sleep by 9 p.m. when I was in high school. Some of the looks on your faces that I'm getting right now show that that's a very strange thing, but because I was the oldest child, my parents were much stricter on me than my younger brothers. They could stay up as as late as they wanted as time went on. And some of you older children are totally vibing with me right now. You know how that goes, right? But the point is, for the son here, he starts to see, or he's understanding kind of the, the adult matter of like inheritance, and he's looking for freedom, and the father gives it to him. And many times as we grow older, we are looking for freedom and trust in our relationship within our parents, and more than we often get. And so what this shows us is, in this story, this father is very trusting and very willing to go along with what the son is asking for. Now, let's set aside for a moment that it's not good, and he kind of, he, I'm sure he understands that as he's being asked for the inheritance. But I really think this does give us a picture of who God is as our heavenly father. He does trust us, and he does allow us to make our own mistakes in this way. He doesn't try to micromanage every part, like saying, son, you can't have my inheritance now because you're just going to go and spend it on wild living like he does in the passage. But he actually allows him to make this mistake, right? Now, 
This is a parable of Jesus. It's not like an actual story that happened. But I think this is something that is very, like, it's very telling of how much freedom God gives us and how much he trusts us as his children, all right? Now, I think that to properly apply this understanding of who God is, I think, you know, this is where I said we want to be careful with how we um, apply this. Uh, this. Again, this does not mean that you can go home and say, hey, mom, dad, in the prodigal son story, like they let the son go do whatever you, he wanted, so you should let me do whatever I want. Um, when some of you were not carefully supervised this week in building the maze, though you did an amazing job, at times where there was minimal supervision, it did devolve into many of you hitting each other with pool noodles that were supposed to be supports for the maze, which shows that we all can't be trusted fully in our responsibilities or what's given to us, right? And yet, we did give you all a, 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 a pretty good, um, I would say, leniency in how the maze was constructed and freedom to do so. But we see that because many of us grow up wishing we had more freedom or more trust from our parents. This isn't maybe a one-to-one -one comparison, but when I think about my father, my father my, as an earthly father, um, he was very structured in how I needed to grow up. And he was also very critical when I wouldn't do things the way he wanted. And uh, growing up, a big part of my life was playing hockey. And I always knew during every game, I always knew where my dad was standing. And I could feel his watchful eye over, did I make the right play or not? And in the first league that I played in, there was no, in most hockey rinks, there's like the plexiglass, which like, you know, is meant for safety, but it also blocks out sound, which I later became very thankful for. Because when there was no plexiglass, if I made the wrong play, I would hear the cutting words of my dad saying, you made another mistake. Why haven't you learned? And I would just play terrible after that because I would feel the criticism that came from him. Now, I share this because that was kind of the relationship I had with my dad for many years, where I felt like I have to do everything right, I don't have the freedom that I wish I had, and I also don't have his approval in the ways that I was seeking. And that definitely impacted our relationship in a negative way. And that's why, for me, it has been a journey to see the father figure that we see in this passage is not the same father figure that I had growing up, right? And that can be challenging for us because I think most of us might say something along those lines. Now, knowing a lot of you in this room, I know there is a wide spectrum of what our relationship with our earthly fathers looks like. That can be very difficult. I also know some of you who have very good relationships with your fathers, and I'm very encouraged by that and blessed by that. But I don't think the point here is to say that our earthly fathers need to be more like this father in this passage. And we'll keep going when it comes to that. I'll share some things that I've experienced that hopefully can point to that. But let's keep going. The, the main force of this passage is you see how accepting the father is when the son comes home after he has squandered all this money that he's asked for, right? So in verse 13, many days later, the son goes on his journey, and then he spends everything. And long story short, he, because he spends all the money that, his, that he took from his inheritance from his father, he ends up in a place where he is working the lowest of low jobs by feeding pigs and actually longing for the food that they have because he has nothing. He went from having all this money that he was super excited about, spends it all partying and doing all these things, and then he he's, gets to the point where all he has is this very, very, very low-paying job where he's feeding pigs and wishing he could eat the food that he's giving them. 
Verse 17 shows us the turning point in this passage that I think is very important for us as followers of, of Jesus, followers of God, the God of this universe. It says, but when he came to himself, other versions might say, if you have it, he came to his senses. He made a decision that he needed to go back, let down his pride, and he does something here that's actually very interesting. When we know we're in a difficult place, sometimes we might rehearse what we're going to say, and that's what he's doing here, right? If you know you're about to have a difficult conversation, you might be rehearsing what you're going to say in front of the mirror. And what he's doing is he's, he's telling himself, starting in verse uh, 18, the second half, he's not actually saying this to his father yet, but he's rehearsing what he's going to say when he gets back home. He's going to say, Father, I'm sorry. What he's implying is, I'm sorry I wished that you were dead and took all of the money that was entrusted to me and spent it all Will you have me back, not as your son, but as your servant? Because at this point in his life, he realizes that's a better place for him than where he was at. And so he rehearses this statement of what he's going to say in hopes that the father will accept him. And the amazing thing about the father in this story is that he doesn't even have to say what he rehearsed. He doesn't even have to say it. Why? Because the father's reaction when he comes home having spent everything, is that the father doesn't even give him a chance to ask this question to come back and be his servant. The father runs out to him, hugs him, kisses him, and instructs everyone, we're going to have a party because my son's home. Never mind that he spent a third of our family estate and it's all gone now. I'm just so glad that he's home. And that's the heart of the father. I don't think it's hard for us to see that in this passage. But when we experience that in our own lives, I do think that we can see the power that exists in this passage. Um, I was a pretty big rule follower as a result of kind of what I described in my relationship with my earthly father. So I would never do something that like the son does in this passage. But we all have our own ways where we have to experience this kind of acceptance from our heavenly father, right? And I would say, in my relationship with both my heavenly and earthly fathers, I experienced this sort of acceptance from God, my heavenly father, before I would experience this depth of relationship with my earthly father. I'll say more about that in a moment. But um, when I was in high school, I grew up going to church, and I think the moment I felt most forgiven and most accepted by God as my heavenly father was at one of our youth retreats after my freshman year in high school. And uh, sophomore year, I'm losing track of time. It was a long time ago. Sophomore year of high school. And what had happened was I was playing on a club hockey team for quite a bit of time, and all the practices and games and tournaments were on Sundays, so I hadn't been to church in a really long time. I still believed in God. I would try to come to youth group here Friday nights. I wouldn't always make it. But on a Sunday, I remember after practice, one of my teammates asked me, and he knew me pretty well. He, knew, he had known me since I was a young kid. And he said, isn't it weird that we, you have practice on a Sunday? And I said, no, why? Like, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. He said, well, don't you usually go to church on Sundays? And in that moment, I was so worried about what my teammates' reaction would be to me going to church that I decided the best thing I could do is deny it or lie about it and not take any kind of ownership of that connection at all. I said, no, that's something my family does, but that's not, that's not something I do. Now, it was something I believed, but in that moment, I was so worried about earthly acceptance 
that it would cause me to lie and say something that was not true. And my friend, he even gave me a chance because he said, no, it's, it's okay if, if like, you go to church. Like, I think it's a good thing when people believe something very strongly. But for me, I was so worried about what everyone else in that hockey locker room would say that I just continued to deny it and say, no, that's not a part of my life anymore, even though it was, and I didn't know what to say. And I went home from that practice feeling awful and terrible. A couple weeks later was our youth retreat. And going into that retreat, because I had had this experience where I had kind of lied about my faith or denied knowing Jesus, I felt like, man, like I felt really guilty being there at this retreat. I thought, how, you know, how could I be accepted as someone who's, you know, singing these songs and participating in these activities when I've totally just denied my faith in front of other people? Like, aren't we as Christians supposed to go and reach out to others and share our faith? And here I was denying it. And at that, at that retreat, I really did go into it thinking, like, God does not want me to be here this weekend. Like, I'm going to experience some kind of judgment or something because of what I've done. And my feeling throughout that retreat was actually the exact opposite. The sermons that we heard, the kind of fellowship times we had with one another, like I felt an overwhelming sense of God's love that I could only describe as grace because in that moment, I was like, I do not deserve this. Not after what I've said, not after the ways that I've kind of just completely disregarded God's role in my life. And yet he was so gracious with me that I didn't feel any of the judgment or condemnation I expected to feel. And I think some of that was just because of what, we, what I had come to expect about what happens in my relationship with my earthly father when I don't do the right thing. I receive criticism, I receive punishment, something like that. But in that moment at Camp Maymac, which is where we go for our winter retreat, and um, it's not just that the food's amazing there, but that place has special meaning to me because that's where I felt like truly, for the first time, felt the depths of the grace of God in that moment. And I think that's a picture of what the son experiences here. And that shows us at his core, that is who our heavenly father is. Romans chapter 5, it's not up here, I forgot to put it in. Daniel mentioned this at the end of the, the last message. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before that, it says, Very rarely will someone be willing to die for someone who's a good person. But Christ demonstrates his love by showing that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's, what, that's the love and the acceptance that God the Father has for all of us. There is nothing that we can do, nothing so terrible that we can do that could separate us from the love of God. And Paul goes on to say that later in the book of Romans in chapter eight. And that's this picture that we see here of the Father in this passage. He goes out of his way to show his love and affection for his son that has taken a, roughly a third of his money. We don't need to get into all the cultural parts of why it was a third, but uh, a third, roughly a third of his money, or that's what would be understood in the parable, spent it all, comes back, and is just completely accepted by his father. So we see that first, the father here allows his son to go his own way, unconditionally calls him worthy, and then finally entrusts him eternally. It's not only that he runs out and throws a party, but the, remember the son, the, the, the thing that he was rehearsing was, 
how can I get my father to accept me as a servant just so I can have a better life because I've made this truly terrible choice in my life? But in verse 22, look what the father does. He said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. You can imagine what the son's clothing must have looked like after feeding the pigs for so long. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. All of these articles of clothing that he's wearing are meant to signify his status within the family that has not gone lost even though the son has gone and gone about living in this way. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. And here's, the, here's really the, the kicker of, the, of what is said in this passage. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. In Luke chapter 15, this is the third parable that Jesus is talking about the joy that God has when something that is lost ends up being found. And though I felt like God would have no affection or no love for me because I wasn't willing to say truly that I did believe in him as my heavenly father, there was no rejection. Though I had kind of gone astray in my own thinking or who I was trying to please in the moment that I said God was not a part of my life, he was willing to continue to love me in this way. And that's why in the Gospels, you see Jesus teach not one, not just this one, but three different parables about how joyful the Father is when something that is lost becomes found. And that's the heart of the Heavenly Father. And what this, what this does here is it's not just that he brings him back and says, okay, like, son, I'll accept you. You've made a huge mistake, and here's how you're going to work this off, or, like, we can do some kind of maybe split arrangement of what you were thinking that you can work as a servant so you really learn your lesson. He puts the robe, puts the ring on, on, onto him, the shoes on, to show he hasn't lost his status in his family, and throws this party because he's showing you have done some truly terrible things, and yet you are still my son, and we are going to celebrate that we are all back together. And so I think this is really a huge thing that we see here where the father entrusts his son in the same way that he did when he asked for the, his share of the inheritance at the beginning. His status in the family hasn't changed. And that is how God's unconditional acceptance for us functions in our lives as well. And um, I... Uh, I, I've thought about this, uh, this parable a lot in past times because it's, it's really one of my favorites. Uh, we know it as the prodigal son. Does anyone know what the word prodigal means? In verse 14, you don't have to go back there because it's not up here, but in verse 14, the son comes to his low point when he had spent everything. And the word prodigal really is a description of you have spent all that you have. And... Uh, I hesitate to ask why this boy is raising his hand, but what do you got for us? Spending money or resources freely and <laughs> recklessly. Wasteful, extravagant. Okay. Spending, spending wastefully or extravagantly, more or less. Daniel always does this during youth group. He goes for the Google definition, which is more or less what I said. So, you know, but anyway. You see the sun spend wastefully and lavishly all that he has. And my favorite uh, pastor who I quote 
quite often up here, and you've heard me uh, just reference before, um, the recently deceased Tim Keller, who's one of my heroes of just learning from God's, uh, God's teaching, um, he wrote a book about this passage that goes into way more detail than I've had, but it's worth checking out. But the title of the book is not The Prodigal Son. The title of the book is called The Prodigal God. And I love that title because in the, in the parable, the son does go and spend everything he has. But the reason that title sticks with me is because of the massive debt that we have in our relationship with God. God spared no expense in sending his son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross for our sins, for our shortcomings. In other words, God gave everything so that we might have a way to know him. And that's why the word prodigal shouldn't only apply to the son, but it also applies to what God the Father has done for us. Now, what that means for our lives, moment by moment, day by day, we're going to get into that in a couple messages down the road in this series. But for today, we want to capture the heart of knowing who this Father is. Um, I've been watching a show on Netflix called... uh, uh, Homecoming, it's a spinoff of the All-American series, which is about, um, it's about a high school football team in South Central Los Angeles. And the Homecoming series is about some college athletes, a tennis player and a baseball player, uh, just to kind of explore their lives as college athletes and to see what the, um, what the, what the environment is. And, you know, many of you know, as uh, for me as a basketball coach, I enjoy watching things that involve sports and the, all that goes along with it. It's a show on the CW, so it's very, like, teen soapy also. So it's like, you know, there's all the, the drama and, like, who's dating who and all of that. And so I don't particularly care for those parts. But I, I enjoy watching the the character development that comes with him. And in this show, one of the main characters, he is a star baseball player at a historically black university, and part of his character is that he is adopted. He has, no, he has his mom, who uh, is pretty successful and has kind of supported him through his baseball career, getting to the point that he's at, um, but he has no idea who his true parents are. And a, a thread throughout the show is he's kind of searching up adoption records because he really wants to know who his earthly parents are. It doesn't mean it's gonna change like his arrangements or anything or that his adopted mother isn't still a part of his life, but it's an ongoing part of the story. Actually, I haven't watched enough to know how it gets resolved, so you know, I don't know, maybe that'll be a future sermon illustration at some point, who knows. But the point is, you can see how much it weighs on him that he doesn't truly know who his parents are, right? And so there's great power for him in wanting to know who his parents are, it seems like that's gonna make a huge difference in his life. Last week, Daniel, in talking about the serpent in Genesis 3, he said, if we do not know who the devil is and what forms he takes, then we're not always aware of the lies that we'll hear in our lives. And for me, in that moment, in that locker room, just completely denying that I believed in Jesus at all, the voice that was the loudest to me was the acceptance of all my teammates. But If we know who our Heavenly Father is, I I would have to think that would make an even bigger difference in our lives than it would for Damon Sims trying to figure out who his earthly parents are. You know, as um, as a hockey player, kind of just hearing my dad's criticism for me as a teenager, there was definitely a part of me that wanted to please my earthly father. I wanted to make the right play. I wanted to score a million goals so he would be happier and all these things, right? 
Many years later, after I became a pastor, I was playing golf with my dad, and we got paired with these two guys who were about my age. And during the course of a four and a half hour golf round, you talk a little bit about your lives. And, um, you know, a common question is, uh, you know, what do you do for a living? And it's always interesting when I tell people I'm a pastor, especially maybe half an hour in when there's been quite a bit of profanity after bad shots and they feel like, like I'm going to be judging them for something they said, and, which is always really funny. But one of the young men had grown up going to church and he knew that at least for, within his family, church was an important thing. And he saw my role as a pastor to be something very honorable. And I overheard a conversation he had with my dad when I was on a completely separate part of the course, but I could still hear. I don't know, I had like rabbit ear, like antenna or something. But um, he, said, he said to my dad, he said, wow, your son's a pastor. You must be really proud. And my dad said, yeah, I, I am. And I don't think they thought I could hear this, but I could definitely hear it. And... For most of my life, this was something that I really desperately wanted to hear. And I'll tell you the really funny thing about that conversation. Hearing in that moment that my dad was proud of me felt nice, but it actually didn't feel like as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be, like as I, it was something I was longing for my whole life. And I think the reason for that, I don't mean this in a bad way, I think the reason for that is prior to this, I had started to come to terms with who God was as my heavenly father. And that his opinion of me is what matters way more than anyone, even my earthly father who I'm very close to now and who I have a great relationship with now. Of course, I was happy to hear this. But having a deep understanding of how God loves me in this way that we've read trumps anything that like, we can experience in our lives. And many of us go through life longing for the acceptance of either our friends or our families, and I'm not saying that's wrong. These are th things that are an important part of our lives. But when you know that God values you in the way that the Father values the Son in this passage, I really, truly believe that will be life-changing. That'll be life-changing. If you know there is nothing I can do, like so, so heinous, so terrible, that my heavenly father will not love and accept me, then, you know, like I think that's a game changer for us. And that's why understanding the, the role of the father in this story, I think is so important for us here. And so then that begs the question for us. How do we respond to knowing that we have this incredible eternal affection from our Heavenly Father. And to that, I would say, um, keep coming on the following Sundays. I'm going to leave it on a cliffhanger there and not, not tell you exactly like so much. But what I would say about this is I've thought about this passage a lot. And I wish Jesus kept going. Now, he does keep going. There's a part with the older brother, which is hugely important to understanding this passage, but that's for a separate sermon at a later point. I wanted to focus on what the father does in this in the story. If you're interested in that, read The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. There's a whole chapter, a whole angle about the older brother that's actually really important. Um, but what I would say is, for me, when I think about this passage, what's missing for me, what I wish I knew is, I wish Jesus talked about what the life of the son was like after this. Like, did he go and do it again? Like, did he take advantage of, like, his father's grace and, and approval or whatever? But I have to think, just as I speculate about it, I would have to think that this moment was so overwhelming for the son, where he got to experience the father's love in a way that he never thought he would have coming back, that it was life-changing for him.
The reason I can still share about that conversation in the locker room with my high school hockey teammates and what the retreat in, uh, what year was it? Nine, uh, the year 2000, I believe, at Camp Maymac, when I went to the retreat just full of dread but actually deeply experienced the love of God. Though that was more than 20 years ago, I can remember it because it still impacts me to this day. And I think that's what the love and acceptance of God, our Father, does. And so um, I do want to say, in kind of in bringing this up, the, the closer I've gotten to my Heavenly Father, I've seen the more that I'm willing to, uh, I've been able to grow in my relationship with my earthly father as well. I can see that um, the, the wrong way to interpret this would be to say, oh, I wish my earthly father was perfect. Now I can love my earthly father, flaws included. We can talk out some of the challenging parts of our relationship in the past, and we've come to a great place where we've apologized for things we need to apologize for, and I can view my earthly father with love and respect and, and graciousness, but I can also know how much more important the relationship with my heavenly father is as well. And so that's why this passage is a great place for us to start when we think about who God the Father is. We're going to go into more detail about what that means for our relationship with him. What does it mean to pray to God our Father? Daniel's going to cover that next Sunday. But we want to start off this series and start off the description of the Trinity with this picture of God as our Heavenly Father. And the amazing grace that he shows his son here is the same grace and love that our Heavenly Father has for each one of us in this room. And the more that we believe that, I think that will change our lives in the same way that I think this son's life was changed for good. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the teachings of Jesus and how deep and rich they are. God, we thank you that this passage reminds us of the truth, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of a father. You are Heavenly Father. Lord, just as the son did in this passage, I pray that we would come to our senses if we have been running if we have been seeking things of this world, if we have been seeking acceptance from this world in various forms. God, hard as it may be, because of all the voices we hear in this world, Lord, I pray that the loudest voice that we listen to would be the incredible love that you have for us as our Heavenly Father. So God, as we sing this last song together today, Lord, I pray that you would be just encouraging our hearts to know just how deeply you love each one of us. And I pray that that would be life-changing for us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.